Good evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have Wayne Kramer. And Wayne has, <clears throat> what he's done to music with his band, MT5, if you're not aware of it, is just, it's like the footsteps of rock. You you really have, set, you're, you're, it's like a rock, metal, punk. Anybody who doesn't know Wayne, pause the show or whatever, bookmark it, go on internet and do some research, play some videos, get caught up so you can appreciate <laughs> who I'm talking to and what his influence in music has been and, and what it continues to be. And it's not just on music. Um, give me a minute to say here that you, what you're doing for, for music in prisons is fantastic. What you've done politically is just as explosive as what you've done explosive for music. I mean, you really just, you're, it's, it's everywhere with you. <laughs> so I'm going to try to focus in a little bit on the conversation. You are, you are full service, you, you know, and it's not a lot of those places anymore nowadays you can do that. Um, so with COVID, obviously, everyone's been locked down and stuff, and you're preparing to get out. Have you, is the machine getting ready to go out, or if you start playing out a little bit now? Because I know you were doing some stuff before. I'm, uh, I'm writing a new record. Ooh. So um, we're about, I don't know, <clears throat> two-thirds of the way through the process. Got to write... Uh, maybe five more numbers and uh, secure a home for it and start plotting uh, the touring schedule for 22. Now, when you say secure, you're gonna try to have a, like a distributor you're not gonna probably have a big label take control of it and you're gonna kind of, be just looking for somebody. Oh yeah. For you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've already done that before. You were the first one to kind of give the middle finger to the industry to begin with. <laughs> Well, or the, the industry gave me the middle finger. I'm not sure. <clears throat> there was a kind of a mutual breakdown in uh, the understanding of what we were trying to accomplish together. And ultimately, their uh, goals and practices didn't align with mine. And, you know, I'm, I'm not painting them out necessarily as evil. Because uh, I was responsible for a great deal of the acrimony. You know, I was young and I I was irresponsible. And uh, <clears throat> I mean. But most successful art and commerce are not usually handheld together. The best yeah. art it, is not always, always the most commercially viable. Yeah, it's almost always a uh, acrimonious relationship. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. This is like. You know, you can take a lot of bands like, oh, in the 80s and 90s, and a different band that talked to her, like, well, the band did this and this and this. But the truth is, you, you, you're not a dig towards either side. But when you sign up with a, a, a company that makes money, whether it's a soda place or whatever, but you want to keep artistic, once you sign on to a business that only wants to make money and then acts like a bank with their interest at heart, with your creative license being your goal and your heart, you know, it's like being in a relationship with somebody that just wants to date you for money, and then you're all about love. <laughs> well, yeah. It's going to be a problem. It's complex, and, you know, uh, often we run into the misplaced priorities of capitalism, which are uh, profit at any cost. Yes. And there's there, profit itself is not inherently destructive or negative, <clears throat> as long as... Uh, it doesn't come before human beings, before people. I mean, that, that's been the breakdown of the capitalist system from inception, that, you know, big business is only interested in the bottom line. And human beings um, are 
don't don't fit into that so well. Yeah. It, it don't. I mean, you're right. Capitalism provides challenging, and people want to be better. So it does bring better product, better this, better that. Yeah. But there's nowhere to put the brakes on for people, and I don't think I don't think there's a way that that machines. It's a machine. I don't think the machine's going to care about the people, and you know. Well, it's look never going to. Look at the auto industry. <clears throat> you know, Detroit created the best cars in the world from the uh, from you know the model t mm-hmm. 1925 up through the 60s uh and you know by the but when we hit the 70s um the the larger world the the arabs decided opec decided that rather than charge the West twenty dollars a barrel for oil. They're going to charge sixty dollars a barrel for oil. I mean, this is the reality of the global marketplace. Yep. And Detroit um, was caught, you know, holding all these gas guzzling cars, and and the Japanese and the Koreans and the Germans had better ideas, cars that would get thirty, forty miles to the gallon, <clears throat> and. No one understood the the damage to the environment that the internal combustion engine was creating. Everyone thought that air was infinite, and uh, you know we know today it's not infinite. I think I don't know. I think a lot of us, even as a small child, I mean, even if you look at the industrial revolution, you actually have black smoke going off in the air. You breathe, and you're like, I don't think that's gonna be good. You know what I mean? Or smoking. I didn't know it was bad for me, really, because it's not vitamin C. Like you need now, you need the poison label on it. Like when you were first smoking it, you know, it has, it has like everything in it. The street gathered together with some nicotine, and you don't know that's bad for you. I, I think the effect really hits us hard now. In in the in the nineteen sixties, when I first started touring and flying around the country, there were a number of cities that I noticed. Um, you know, you're cruising along at 30,000 feet, and then mm-hmm. you're coming up on the cities were Newark, New Jersey, um, uh, Chicago, Gary, Indiana, around there, Detroit, yeah. Pittsburgh, uh, cities with heavy in- industry that as the plane would start to come down to land, you could see a barrier of brown pollution it was, you know, vis- it, there was no mistaking right. what it That's was. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's not like, but, but people like you, you, you already speaking on the 60s, but a lot of people were like, no, it's not bad. I remember being a small child and being like, everyone in my house smoked except for me, and I'm not a smoker. But they had like white walls, it was like in the 70s. And every couple of years, they had to take the paintings down and repaint the house. Yeah. And you had these like white frames around the rooms. I'm like, this isn't good. And I'm like five, six, seven years old. I knew it wasn't good then. Yeah. There's a common sense factor. I think what's really great is is you you've been outspoken, and of course rock and roll's always been dangerous or whatever. By whatever I mean, but dangerous to them is more like I mean you, you did you did tinker in the drugs a little bit there, <laughs> but, but I don't right, but, but but more so the important some of the important things you've gotten from everything, everything you've done you've learned and, and exploded with helping other people, and you did politics early in the beginning with your music, and you. You know, which is fantastic. And that's more dangerous than anything you can do with rock and roll. You know, speaking out against the government. It's like in the 60s. I mean, you did have your Black Sabbath and the other bands are like being dangerous rock and roll. But no one's like kind of saying, hey, give them a little finger to the government saying, listen, people, get together. That's a revolution. Not a lot of bands are doing that. 
especially at, at your level, what you're doing, you know? Well, you know, there, and there, thank you. And thank you. Let me just say thank you. Thank, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, you know, I, the, the MC5 was part of a, a generation, my generation of, of uh, at, uh, we were young at the time, um, who were in agreement that the direction the country go, was going in was wrong. And, you know, that we believed in the um, aspirational goals in the Constitution, you mm -hmm. know, uh, justice for all, uh, you know, this uh, an egalitarian uh, meritocracy, um, you know, we believed in that. We we believed that that uh, if the government was going in the wrong direction, we had the right and the responsibility to uh, to redress their policies. Which and is huge. Because how old were you exactly? You first first started. Like I know you guys in sixties was really your like, teens. So like yeah, I was. Look at teens now. How many teens now? I mean, actually, maybe more than the 80s. Teens in the 80s weren't thinking like that. Maybe now, hopefully, after this last political <laughs> people we had for president, hopefully people are like, oh, we got to pay pay attention more and stop shopping, uh, shopping at uh, Walmart. We got to really kind of focus in on what's going on because, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's because it's it's very forward thinking though. Fake. You know what I mean? It's forward thinking at that point to be. It's even bigger to be a teenager in the 60s to be saying, hey, this isn't right. You know what I mean? That's that's a big thing for a teen to be thinking. And you guys are well, some killer music too. I'm not taking away from killer music at the moment. <laughs> well, you, you have to you, you have to acknowledge, or it, it can be helpful to acknowledge the influence of the Vietnam War and um, mandatory conscription, the draft. Oh well, yes, of course. Young men were being forced to join the military and uh, and go fight kill Vietnamese and perhaps be killed yourself. Almost 60,000 young American boys died in that conflict. Over a million Vietnamese died. Um, and we, we, as a generation, we couldn't justify it. You know, the hypocrisy was unbearable for us. Um, and and we were in agreement that you know hundreds of thousands of Americans protested against the war, marched in the streets back when marching in the streets um, really <laughs> meant safe. right. Um, and I, I agree with you. You know, since then that agreement has dissipated, and up until the end of the Trump era. I don't think there's been an agreement. You're right. People were more interested in their iPhone or their iPad and um, Facebook than they were about the state of their nation. I think I think that was, I, I would like to hope as a 50 year old male myself that I came in the end. I was old enough to grow up and see how bad Vietnam was as a as older to see it in retrospect as a young child. <clears throat> but then I growing up into the 80s of Reaganomics where everything was a bubble of bliss where everybody was just kind of letting the government do what it wants and not really paying attention in my opinion um I agree. and then and, and then at that point then things kind of you know then you get the 90s and then you got you know everyone kind of started enjoying everything you get the shoegaze it was kind of gaze gets the shoes for rock and then not paying attention and all of a sudden 
we end up where we were a few years ago. And to the point where finally, you know, women and children and minorities are being recognized the way they should have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The minute of the breath of a human being's breath, everybody should have been recognized the same. What you've been fighting for years for um, is only starting now to get, get acknowledged. And, and I think your message, and this is why it's so important to, to, to talk to you about this, I'll talk about the music in a minute, is something you've been fighting for your whole life. And it's just as relevant today. Probably more so. Well, the, these things, uh, you know, these are uh, fundamental principles. Um, you know, self-determination, self-efficacy, um, um, uh, the unity uh, to, you know, like in the union, the best of the union movement and collective mm -hmm. bargaining, that, that the interest of the collective matters. And, and, you know, one person's well-being is my well-being, you know, that we're all in this together, which, right. which you know, uh, capitalism has proved its efficacy in separating people and reducing them to market shares um, and, you know, sales figures when they're actually living, breathing human beings that matter. I think and the problem is principles yeah, yeah. will will um, they are um, they have substance to them. You know, you and I um, are temporary uh, yeah. ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Uh, but these principles have substance. They endure over time, you know, over eternity. What 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 is a, a true principle today? will be a true principle in another 100,000 years or in another 100 million years. Yeah. And and those, as much as those are things that are facts, intuitively, I don't think everybody subscribes to it or feels that they feel it's just for them. Whereas just as easily, if they get a piece of the pie all of a sudden, just like you say back in the you know days of, of early England or whatever, be like, yo, I'm going to rebel against the king. I'm going to give you a piece of land <laughs> and let you tax a few people in the area. And all of a sudden they're behind the king again. It seems like a very basic principle, but I see it very clearly still everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a problem with something until they get a piece of the pie. Yeah. Who's saying, I, I don't really want a piece of the pie. I want everyone to have a piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's always going to be the, the struggle. And, and maybe the advantage now is more people don't have a piece of the pie or acknowledging at the same time, yeah. which gives a little bit more power. Yeah. Will things dissuade or change things? I hope not. I hope it keeps pushing through. I mean, is is your songwriting still going to be as, as effective now? I, I would think so, but well, you can't separate these things. Some people can. Some people can, and you you know you've lived a whole life, so you may have other things you want to write about. Okay, that's yeah. a fair question. You, have, you understand what I'm saying because you're an artist also, so you also like to create. So it doesn't mean you know not every band writes the same album. They're like, I wish ACDC did the same album. Or I wish so and so that you're an artist and you should be able to write whatever you want. Yeah, agreed. But that being also, you also would you? I don't need a political artist. I don't, I don't know. I hate that. That's a horrible, horrible title because it makes you think you're a politician. Mm -hmm. Yeah, political commentary, <laughs> musician. Maybe I don't. Once, once you are, once you have an interest in how things got to be the way they are, mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't go away. You don't. You don't stop. Uh, caring about that. No, know? no, I get that. Well, I think the 
what comes across as you is, and, and it's not like, um, like somebody's like, oh, they're a political banner for this president or for this president. You're even the colors of your band, you know, or MC5 and I, MC50, is that because of just the, the time frame for the album? Is that what you're calling that, or just because of different numbers? Are you kind of call yourself a different name now, a little sort of? You know what I'm saying? You're going by MC50, is that? more illegal or uh no it, it's it's not so legal it it was you know i view my role as the curator of the mc5's legacy mm-hmm. uh, I, you know three of the band members are gone now um, yeah. just me and uh machine gun thompson are still alive and machine gun is um you know semi-retired um, and I'm still an active player, so you know it, it, it's on me to carry on the message of the MC5, but to adapt it to today uh, in a way that reflects some of the uh, concerns and you know the the humor and the the. As far as with your music, that was it's literally so relevant. To like, you know, I listen to your first three albums and from back back, like literally listen to them. And even how music's changed and how like it was considered alternative and garage rock and like it, it, it's it's all out there. It's like a big buffet now. There really isn't a certain type of label and there really is no certain radio station. There's a few, they're doing pop, whatever. But for the most part, it's kind of out there now. So there really isn't a lot of changing. You just write about your policy. It's kind of everything just fits so well still. You know, even the sound it sounds as fresh yeah. today. Well, I, no. I wasn't sure, um, and so the first few dates that we did, um, we played some festivals in Europe, and um, I, I wasn't convinced that the modern rock festival, the European festival audience, would um, get the MC5's music. Um, about halfway wow. through the second song, all my apprehensions uh, disappeared because they understood exactly what the band rep- that this was hard rock, that you know mm-hmm. guitar-driven, uh, you know passionate, uh, exciting uh, music being performed live in front of them on a level that they they may not have. Uh, heard before, but certainly identified with. I mean, I notice, you know, we're playing a festival in Scandinavia and we start off, you know, there's two or three stages on these things. So the the fans yeah. have a choice of going to see this band or this band or that band. Which is kind of hard. It's like picking a favorite child. <laughs> well, so, so I'm playing to maybe uh, 4,000 kids who are curious to come over. My guess is Half of them have never heard of the MC5 or Wayne Kramer. They have no idea what this band is. The other half, are they're clearly music fans because they're at a festival. And they right. may have heard of Kick Out the Jams or... So, you know, about halfway through the set, I notice, you know, people walk around these festivals. They stay and watch one band for a while and they go see another band. Okay. Our crowd kept growing, kept getting larger and larger. So at the end, maybe we had eight or 10,000. You know, the people had come, they stayed because they liked what they were hearing. And then more people joined them and 
And, you know, after the, the first two concerts, I knew that this was going to go pretty well. You're back. You're like, Wayne is back. You know, it was great. First off, Europe has always been very forgiving and very open for American music on many levels. Even anything with anything with a guitar and and non-altered vocals. You know what I mean? You yeah. could be any kind of singer, and you could be I don't know what you consider. You know, I'm not talking about like talent. You know, kind of kind of pitchy dog type of vocal shows. We're talking like rock and roll voice, a rock and roll singer, and a guitar. And Europe's been pretty opening, you know, f- for that market. Um, but that same thing, I think you guys, your music transcends. It, they cannot understand English, and your music just rocks. They can understand and get the, the image of it and the music, and it rocks. And then if they can understand English, and you can see it, because even the colors and the, the design, the art is still very reflective of not such of a political band, but a band in the early, late 60s, early 70s of America, of the Woodstock style, what people get the image of, of wanting freedom and equality. And, and you're, and that's what the image shows, and maybe that's maybe towards my, my, how I absorb it, of, of, of the people, you know what I mean? That you're still a band fighting for the people, a band of the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then you got the, that Detroit stamp on you, which is, don't get any more <laughs> for the people than being a band from Detroit, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, right. Who, now who's in your band at this point? I know before you had quite a hit list. Are this the same guys, the Soundgarden, the big... Um, some of those guys may um, carry on with me. You know, they're all uh, in other bands. Well, that's the thing, yeah. Those bands are, are everybody's going back to work now that it <laughs> appears the pandemic is is moving behind us. I would hold your breath. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll have to, I'll have to see as, as we move forward, you know, who can tour with me. Um, who's going to be committed to other projects? You know, Billy Gould is a founding member of Faith No More. Yep. They're going out. Um, Kim Thiel and Soundgarden, um, they have some ideas that they're working on to be able to tour again. Um, uh, Brendan Canty is one of the hardest working drummers in the game. He's everywhere. But he's he's also committed to to carry on with me so I'll hopefully he'll that. That's, that's good. Um, uh, Marcus Durant just had a baby so I don't know how that might affect his uh, ability to leave leave town for yeah. you know, weeks or months at, at a time I, I you know I refused to tour the first uh, five years uh, when my son arrived because uh, I didn't want to miss it you know no. you don't you don't get that time back and you know, a, a infant and a toddler and an adolescent—they need both parents. I mean, you've seen it over and over and over again here in Hollywood. Um, how you know absentee marriages and absentee families don't work. Families are hands-on, and you've got to be. Well, there's there. more studies that are coming out too, saying that a two-parent family weighs more and, and it shows there's numbers again finally to it to, to counteract what this whole other world value has gone on i mean yeah. sometimes things happen of course so you don't want it but if that's the case you still try keeping both parents involved and as a unit you know and, yeah. and that makes a difference it doesn't yeah. have to be together but you're right being on the road and being gone i mean i would say the best years of tour when they're a teenager gone i would be gone <laughs> eight years i have three kids man i'm telling you just go go tour Europe for eight years <laughs> Just tell you right now. 
send your wife some necklaces or something, just be gone, man. <laughs> Stop saying. And then he graduates, buy him a nice car. Yeah, and buy him a nice car. He's like, when he graduates, and you'll be the coolest dad again. It's perfect. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. I'm saying. That's the way, you know, Brendan has four boys who yeah. are all grown now in college and pursuing their careers. And, you know, as we tour around the United States, you know, we, we're in Manhattan. One of his sons is at school there. So he comes over and hangs out. It's brilliant. We play Austin, Texas. One of his sons yeah. lives down there. So we get to see that one. Jeez. So, yeah, that's a good way to do it. You tore all your kids. No, a lot of kids, you know, kids man. He's like the Duggars. Be everywhere. He's got to keep touring. No wonder he's working so much. You know, like school to pay for. <laughs> I, I, I said, you know, to pay. That's right. That's awesome. But that is important. It, being a family working touring band is, and I think that's why a lot of bands have gone that way nowadays too, generationally. You know, I almost think yeah. You know, earlier bands up and probably to the bands up into the early '90s have all kind of taken that. They're back out to tour. They survived. Music industry's been kind of crazy for many years. It's never been a great place for musicians, working musicians like yourself. But I also think it's been a good time now for a lot of musicians, whether you're considered rock or classic rock or punk or whatever. There's like an age where I'd say most of the artists say they're, you know, 50, closer to my age group, and then up, up to your group. And that span of like 20 years, so I think you're like 70, right? And also, how, how do you look so great at 70? Because you look better now than... I did a 35, man. Now I'm taking vitamins or something, man. I couldn't jump around like you. But but the but the point is, like, you guys have a balance now of, of working with family and touring and survived all the, that monstrous, horrible stuff that was going on in the industry, well, you know? Some of us survived. Many did not. Right. But, you know, I the point is that I'm talking about. Well, you made it through. You had your own things, you know, which actually can lead to this. Can you want to take a second and promote your, your jail program, which is fantastic. I think people should know about um when i you know it, it's no secret i served a prison term in the 1970s right. while i was uh in the penitentiary a uh, new music form emerged punk rock and there was a british band that was very conscious uh very progressive called the clash they okay. were mc5 fans and they wrote a song uh, talking about my misadventures. And, that makes uh, it all worth it right there. Makes it all worth it right there. Do the Clash song about yourself? You couldn't play it any better. Me and, <laughs> a, couple, me and a couple other guitar players. Uh, and it was called Jail Guitar Doors. And at the time, I thought, what a great show of solidarity um, mm -hmm. from some brothers across the sea that I didn't know. And... Um, and then didn't think much of it. And then after I was released, I watched for the next 30 years as prison populations in this country exploded exponentially. They went up seven times. When I did my sentence in the 70s, there were 350,000 people in prison in our country, state and federal. Today, there's 2.2 million of our fellows um, we have 5% uh, of the world's population and 25% of the world's prisoners. We lock up more people in, in America than any country in the history of the world. Today, right now, today, we have more people in prison than any country, China, Russia, Miramar, any, you name it, 
you know, the Middle East, it doesn't matter. We lock up more of our own citizens. And finally, I, I you know, the activ activist in me got angry and, and it was a slow burn. And finally, I had to do something. The way I treat my own depression, uh, right. my own anxiety about the world I live in is by taking direct ethical action. Get up off the couch and go yeah. do something. Don't sit in front of the computer and click something and think I did something. Uh, subscribe something. to something, yeah. I support this. Click if you want to, you know, yeah. a petition. I'm going to click on a petition. Ooh, you saved the world. So what could I do? I'm a musician. Um, maybe I could do concerts in prisons. I always enjoyed it when people from the street came in and did concerts in our prison that I served my sentence in. Uh, so I put together a crew of guys to go into the infamous Sing Sing maximum security facility in New York. And one of the guys I took in with me was the great Billy Bragg. Yep. Billy had jail guitar doors written on his guitar. And I said, what's up with that, Bill? And he said, oh, it's an old Clash B-side. Have you ever heard it? I said, heard it? Bill, the song is about me. <laughs> oh, 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 bloody fucking hell. And we talked about an independent initiative that he had launched in the United Kingdom to provide guitars as tools for prisoner rehabilitation. And the more we talked about it during the day of the concert and on the bus ride back to the hotel, um, I realized this, this was a perfect fit for me. And so on that bus ride, uh, my wife, Margaret Kramer, Billy Bragg, and I formed Jail Guitar Doors USA. Bravo. Sister organization. So that was uh, 11 or 12 years ago, 10 or 11, I'm not sure, 2008 or 2009. Today, um, our instruments are in over 160 American prisons. Uh, we run songwriting workshop programming in prisons and jails across the country, and particularly here in California where I live, um, wow. we have an extensive uh, workshop program in the California prison system. And in the last seven years, we focused on working with young people through the uh, juvenile halls and uh, juvenile camps. They call them camps. They're really prisons for children. And, um, uh, you know, I, I've, we're, we're trying to work upstream. We're trying to disrupt the cradle to prison pipeline. Uh, so that's what we do. We have, a, we have musicians around the country and around the world with Billy's work in the United Kingdom. And uh, and uh, what we do is we help people learn a way to express painful, often complex emotions and memories in a positive way, in a non-confrontational way, through mm -hmm. the creative process of creating music, of writing songs. Um, it teaches people um, a lot of useful tools uh, for when they come home.
because 95% of the people in our prisons are coming home someday and they're going to live next to you and me. They're going to stand in the line at the supermarket with us. They're going to sit next to us at the movies. Um, Their kids are going to go to the same schools our kids go to. Uh, they are they are us, you know. And a lot of a lot of, I'm sorry. A lot of them are, you're right. And a lot of them are. They have either mental issues where they were not unable to unearth these emotions to deal with them, focus it. A lot of it is we not true trainable, but like a train itself. <laughs> you could put on a different track. You could kind yeah. of prevent. And and this is a great program, especially good creativity. There's no levels. There's no right or wrong with the guitar with songwriting and that's why there's there's punk and there's classical and there's there's nothing and, and nothing feels better than creating something and going you know what what a sense of pride that gives you what a what an outlet to something else emotionally because music is emotion so in a way it's therapeutic without even, without even using like psychology or, or, or like making somebody among other emotions they might not have the words for it but they could play a song on a guitar and and still get to them i think it's, it's that's why i think it's a fantastic program you do there um the architecture of prison itself is designed to inculcate in a prisoner that he has no value in the world, that he's, he's a problem, he's a crime, he's a bed space, he's a prison number. And being creative is the best possible argument against that meaninglessness. Mm-hmm. To, to advocate for one's humanity. Uh, if you can put someone in touch with their own humanity, that will allow them to see the humanity in their fellow. So we have guys in our program, you know, we have rules for the program. And in the workshops, um, we can talk about anybody and anything, but we must treat each other with dignity and respect. And we have guys that might be from different neighborhoods, different class, different race, different gangs. And we put them all together and tell them, these are the guys you're going to write with today. And I've had guys tell me, you know, Wayne, that dude, man, Jim, and I never liked that guy. I just didn't, I didn't like him, man. But, you know, we worked on that song together and he's all right. He's okay. There you go. Because what we discover, say we're writing that day on children. We're going to write songs about our kids. That the the Hispanic gangster from East Los and the black gang member from Compton both want exactly the same thing for their children. You know, the white peckerwood biker he wants the same thing for his kids. They find out they have way more in common than they have in different. That's where the healing, the growth, the rehabilitation happens. But, but you set up, you're actually setting up a stage that allows them to come to the conclusion where sometimes when you're forced to learn stuff, who wants to be forced to, to do anything, especially after being in prison? Everything's forced at them. You're saying here, this is, the rules to the situation to enjoy. They come to these conclusions, which will carry over further than anything that somebody tells you what to do. We have we have empirical studies that prisoners that participate in arts and corrections programming. I love that name. Sixty percent lower recidivism rate. 
There you go. So you have gained in, in clearly you're successful in, you know, music and your music career, which is everybody's dream as a musician, but not being, you know, Guns N' Roses or Metallica huge, the wealth that you've done to the human race, you could lay your head down at night on the pillow and be like that. You know what I'm saying? You don't have the platinum albums, you have the respect of your peers, but beyond that, this, the lives you're saving, the families you're helping put back together again, what this program does is so much bigger. That's, that's wealth. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's beautiful. You know, if, uh, if, if our viewers want to help, they, I was can, ask go, you. they can go to jailguitardoors.org. There's a donate button. Funding is always a challenge. Um, if you're a musician uh, and you want to teach in the prisons, uh, send me an email at Wayne at Jail Guitar Doors, and we'll find a way to put your ass to work. Excellent. I, I put all this, I will put your show, your all your links, all my shows underneath YouTube for every everything you do. We'll go underneath there so people can check out your music, check out your programs. They can do everything. Be, you know. Right there one, with you. One, one final note. Um, we've just uh, completed uh, construction on a youth center here in Los Angeles uh, at Third and Fairfax in, in neutral gang territory, uh, which is important because uh, the, the gangs are uh, capable of uh, lethal violence. Yeah. And if a kid wants to come to our program and he's got to take the bus, and he's got to make a connection in the wrong neighborhood. It's it's a serious problem. So our center is in a neutral area, and um, it has a complete recording studio. It has a computer lab. It has classroom space, performance space, gallery space. Wow. Um, and we're very excited about it. It's called the Capo Center, C A P O, Community Arts Programming and Outreach. And well played. All young people, um, uh, fourteen to twenty-two. Um, you don't have to be criminal justice in, system involved. You can just be a regular neighborhood kid, and it's after-school programs and weekend programs, because we discovered if we don't have something to offer kids uh, when they leave the juvenile mm -hmm. hall or the camp, then they just go back to the neighborhood and the family that got them in trouble in the right. first place. Or you're preventing them from even going there to begin with by offering it, by not being in a program. Yeah. You're preventing, it's even, preventing is usually the best way to, to, to break the cycle. Yeah. Wrap up the show, but I want to talk about one of the great things is, is your, your iconic guitar, man. And I know it's actually out for a while where you could, people could buy a user end version of it. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about your guitar a little bit, maybe some specs and just kind of down dirty on it. I love it, it's beautiful, yeah. Sorry, the ubiquitous phone interruption. No, it's, okay, it's, it's, it, you should have had a cat come by and lick your face or a dog. That's usually the other direction, right? <laughs> the guitar was, uh, I'd, I'd been, I've been a Fender supporter most of my career. Mm -hmm. And um, 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, we started talking about producing a Wayne Kramer Stratocaster with the Stars and Stripes motif and with my modifications. And it took 
16 years. So that was the one. <laughs> you know, wow, that's a long time in the guitar well, world. Fender's, you know, is a capitalist corporation. And for a long time, the upper management were bean counters. And so my project got put on the back burner and the back burner and then in the refrigerator, then in the freezer, um, because the executives would only build guitars played by then current guitar heroes. Right. Um, fortunately, all the guys that work at Fender are musicians and they kept the project alive and they knew the significance of the guitar. Which and is, it is. It's the famous, it's, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you. It's, it's the most famous unknown guitar. So they, so finally when the Fender management, uh, when, when the, the, work, the, the worker side ascended to management, mm -hmm. then they could make the guitars they want. And they made my guitar, they made a Joe Strummer telly, and um, guitars were a big hit. And, uh, you know, we worked very hard on it to, to get it. I wanted a guitar that, um, you know, had good intonation, that stayed in tune. That's why it has a hard tail. There's no vibrato on the guitar. Yeah. Um, I put that humbucker in the middle position to give me a meatier, slightly louder sound for solo playing, but still keep those great that great neck pickup tone of the Stratocaster. So you do have your own tone. You do have your own. It's it's I would say it is this. It is this. It's a biting tone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That is the sound. It bites. That's the highest praise you can offer a musician that he has his own sound. I've It's the truth. I hear it scream through your music. So they 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 released it. Um, they sold them all out. They wanted to only do a limited run. Uh, they like the idea of the collector's item. Um, I've, I've, we've tried for years to get them to do another run of the guitar, yeah. but they won't. Um, and you know, the guitar was uh, it was a, for me. It was a, just the greatest for a kid that sat there looking at Fender catalogs, going, "Oh." Man, if I could have one of those, oh yeah. my, oh man, I would love one of. But you know, when I was a kid, they cost three hundred dollars. It might have been three hundred thousand for you know. I couldn't. My family couldn't afford that. Yeah. My my electric guitar was a silver tone that we got at Sears on a payment plan for a hundred dollars. You know, <laughs> and, and now the Stratocaster was out of the question. That's right. Even so, nowadays, it's still still challenging. You know, I buy a lot of my guitars. I love pawn shop guitars because it can be the weirdest brand. And my favorite brand is actually the you can see the red one there. It's an Aria Pro Two. I don't know. I, I couldn't even figure out where it's from. It's like eighty two, eighty three, like a Japanese hardwood, Stratish style sound. That's what I wanted because we can afford. I can't afford three thousand dollars <laughs> guitar. You know, right. you know, it's going to be the hard days that I come across one of your guitars that's out somewhere and someone's going to have sales trying to buy it now <laughs> would be the hard call that's why i'm like you got to make some more i mean affordable for the rest of us because uh that sound that guitar is so great it's so it's an iconic sound and it's also good sound you can play with other music too it's just, it's not like you get a sound and sound like you know the slash guitar like your guitar sound 
sounds good with it because it has a time a warm feeling i mean it's fighting but it's also got this nice warm feeling back there where analog was king I, i'm an analog record guy myself so that resonates with me you know that sound that's and and, and uh i mean that was the idea behind the, the putting the humbucker on there to give me more flexibility because with the five-way switch you can combine the neck pickup and the humbucker or the humbucker by itself or yep. the bridge pickup and the humbucker or just the bridge pickup so I, I love that i love that people do that i'm surprised that was that's not more of a standard thing that came out with guitars we had so many options maybe once again commercially everyone wants their own little thing but to be a guitar player and be able to, to flip between sounds is like a painter with a different palette instead of having three colors or watercolors and, and you have, yeah, a, whole, you have a toolbox in front of you. There right. are you you three, three primary colors. But if you Red, mix them all together, yellow. you get brown, 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 and brown. <laughs> and only one person did the brown sound, right? Right. Was Van Halen. So besides that, everyone else needs their own color scheme. Right. Tom Morello told me when he when he first started Rage Against the Machine, he you know he had gone through all the the permutation, this guitar, that amp, this mm -hmm. head, that speaker. And he finally decided he's going to use a 50 watt Marshall and a 412 cab and anything that he does, he is going to do it with that rig and that rig only. Only. He's done pretty well with that sound. He had, he has, and, and you know, next time you see him when he's not looking, cut his strings at the end of his guitar because the OCD part of me, those crazy strings, <laughs> I'm like, someone's going to get scratched. You're going to get caught in the eye something. Print that stuff, man. I love your sound, but I can't focus. <laughs> I mean, Tom, no, I'm not alone on that. Tom, Tom has uh, collaborated on a couple of songs for the new album with me. That's, that's awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's sound, so good. They're sounding terrific. We're, we're very excited about it. He's 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 also very creative. I love the fact that he came and did, you know, Rage, and he did the, uh, I can't think it was the project he is now. And, then, of course, he did with Chris. And then works with you, and then like um, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, it's just, it's very, very flexible. And once again, it's very creative. And that's what you, I, I think, the best thing about artists, you're like, how come Tom Morell played with Bruce Springsteen? Because he's an artist. Why would you not want to play with something different and challenge yourself? Even if it's something you don't know, why not do something different? You know what I mean? Especially people like me that go to your same job every day. Wouldn't you want to do something different, go to a different job one day or something? And the, and believe me, that was a challenge playing with Springsteen because his read, catalog yeah. is so huge, and he'll call songs in the middle of the set that they hadn't talked about before. So Tom said it was it stretched him out, you know, to have to be ready for that. Didn't tune. they have like 80, 80 songs or like fifty or eighty songs yeah. to learn? I mean, I mean you read bands fifty two. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. learn. We're gonna call you in last minute. It's like you need to learn like twenty songs for a band over overnight. Here's the CDs. You're flying in, learning them. You know, that's insane to me. But then yeah. we're like, yeah, I have like eighty songs. I need you to learn them. And we're gonna probably do a show that goes for like four hours. Yeah. <laughs> so really, I might also do cover songs that aren't even part of the eighty songs. Yeah. <laughs> and I need to improvise for probably like twenty minutes on a song. You got this? <laughs> Tours in a month. Yeah. So of course I, he he did have the the. Uh security blanket of there being four other guitar players on the band so if he didn't know yes. the change he could win the great musician code when in doubt leave it out there you go <laughs> it's hard though because he was the i was think looking at him oh, why is he there he doesn't really fit in he's not part of the bruce springsteen you know what i mean so he's definitely was on the spot he really he showed his metal you know and you know what i'm saying you're not just metal i mean 
metal as yeah, who you know, he was. Yeah, he's a terrific player, and and you know, I mean, he's he's a metal, as in iron. He, he, of course, he's I, a I get metal that too. Guy uh, and a funk guy, but you know, in another life, he could have been the guitar player in the Ohio Players. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he's a soulful player. And that's really excellent. So I'm really excited to hear you guys playing together too. What kind of creation you guys are having? What do you think the date's going to be? You can probably you think next year it'll be out. Yeah. Cool. Maybe Christmas. I don't know. It depends. You know, on on the the marketing campaign. I'm not. I'm not holding you to a date. I'm not that guy. This is show. We just talk about music and world and see. I'm not looking for that kind of stuff. Just kind Maybe of it's exciting. Next year. Yeah. Yeah. Early next year. That's awesome. I'm so looking forward to that. And is, who's singing? Is it the same guy singing? Who's been singing? Well, I've been working with um, an incredible vocalist from the Bay Area named Brad Brooks, who it just sings his ass off, and he's a great writer. So we're we're uh, we're we're cancer brothers. We both had throat <laughs> cancer, and that oh. kind of bonded us. He had it before me. And when he heard that I had it, we met on the gig one night and he asked me, what are you up to? And I said, I'm not up to anything, man. I just got diagnosed with throat cancer. And he said, don't worry, you're going to get through it. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I just had it too. He's a couple of years ahead of me, but he was my snowplow. He, he took the bumps out of the road for me and we became very close friends. And then we said, well, let's try and write something together. And the writing was so much fun. I enjoyed it. And our aesthetic lined up so well that I said, well, you know, I got to write a new record to tour on. Um, why don't we write it together? And it's just been going fantastic. I mean, That's fantastic. And, and, and it, it the there's, there's, there's your karma, too, for what you do with the jail like Everything you do is very cyclical. It's, you, it's like an ecosystem of kindness you've, you've created. Is you're like a, you're like in your second or third life. You're like a cat of rock and roll, where you you build good things and the good things are coming. You know what I'm saying? Where it's 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 you know it's you're living the principle of what you're doing. Well, you you transmit who you are all the time. Whether you not everybody sees that. Not. Everybody sees that though, and you know that way. Yeah. Seventy years in this earth, out of every well, ten people, how many people do that? Know this that too. You, you know, and and you attract like attracts like, you know, if if you, mm-hmm. you know, like all those people that go to Sky Bar are assholes, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've only heard I. They all, they all sit around and lie to each other about how famous they are. You know, I'm not interested in that. Um, and, and, you know, Brad, Brad, you know, he's got a couple kids. I've got a kid. He had cancer. I had cancer. We're both veteran rockers so you know we we it's a good partnership that's awesome and, and, and that's the thing like where it's like and you can be like certain levels of people like your level of where you've achieved stuff musically and other artists can be just as huge like like big like financial like you know like super ridiculously stadiums but at the same time you're on stage with Pearl Jam for the same exact reason because there's that there's that same thread and there's that same from what I know of a lot of those guys in that band are that same soul of the earth mm-hmm there's a certain success you can have that doesn't make you a different successful like an artist. There's a certain common musician that you are. You're a musician, and some people get more financial, more records or media behind them because it's whatever. It's easier, more palatable, or relatable at the time. 
but you're that same musician. Actually, you're more of a leader, and a lot of these guys look up to you because you've really broken some ground when it wasn't a thing, you know. And that's great that you you've been able to change your life and not only just experience it, you reap it because you're still doing more now. I mean, the only thing is, now, is this going to be a live album because your first live album worked out really good for you. <laughs> Which is also kudos to you. The first live album, your first debut is live. You're insane. I recorded almost every show we played uh, on the MC50 tours, so you know maybe we'll do something with one of those. They're they're pretty good. You should. Played, it's I've band played pretty well. I've seen some clips and some radio shows you guys have done when you had the other, did your full like it was like a superstar band, and then um, I forget the singer's name. He's really good too. He's, he's so funny too. Yeah, he's so funny. <laughs> His perspective is just so refreshing. Um, it's appreciated. So yeah, that that would be nice if that that batch of music gets out too, especially if you're doing something something with some newer stuff to kind of like let that be shown. You know what I mean? Somewhere historically documented yeah. would be a great a great gift for the fans. I mean, I know you, the man. I want to thank you, and hopefully, when your album's out, you can come back and we can talk a little more and promote it. I appreciate the opportunity to to meet and blab, and uh, tell all uh, all our friends and fans out there to uh, you know soldier on, do the right thing, good yep. things will happen. Do the wrong thing, bad things will happen.